This morning, we are going to spend some time in the book of Ephesians. So turn your Bible to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. And as you're turning there, I, I want you to notice that um, up here on the, the screen is a picture of a tree. If you look closely, you realize that the root system of a tree usually goes the width of the branches. Uh, usually, as far as the branches reach, that's as far as the roots go, sometimes even farther. And uh, this is a tree in particular where there's fruit that is seen, but what is not seen is what is underneath. When it comes to being a disciple, um, as we've been going through all of these different areas of discipleship, and next week is the, the last message on this series, but it doesn't mean that discipleship ever ends. And we're supposed to continue to grow as disciples and to make disciples. And one of the ways, uh, or, or four of the things that you could do to help grow a, a better root system is is practice spiritual disciplines on your own. I, I just want to reemphasize, we're going to start a new year, and, and what a great goal, maybe to read through the Old Testament, maybe the New Testament, maybe, uh, maybe just to be in the Word more consistent, but don't wait until January 1st, right? I mean, uh, tomorrow, you have a, a chance. Today, you have a, a chance. So um, if you're going to grow that root system, uh, practice spiritual disciplines, be in a community, with a, a few good friends and people that can help you to grow. Uh, right now we're on a, a break from life groups, but there's nothing that stops anyone from getting together and just saying, hey, you know what, let's talk about these things, or let's, let's just have some fellowship, or, or maybe someone to pray with and be accountable to. Uh, another thing is uh, confess your sin quickly and repent quickly. This morning I really believe that God will speak to us, and because of that, when he shows us something, we have to make sure that, the amount of time between when the Holy Spirit speaks to us and our reaction, that makes a big difference to the amount of pain that we experience in life, doesn't it? That when we respond quickly, it's still painful. It's, it's always painful to repent, but it's always a blessing. But the longer it takes to repent, the more pain that is caused to us and to others. And the fourth thing to grow as a, that root system is make disciples. Take what you hear today um, about family, because that's really what we're going to be talking about, and apply that not only in your own life, but to teach it um, in other people's lives as well. So those are the, the things there to grow strong. And uh, this morning, family relationships. Now, when it comes to family relationships, I, I want to be mindful this morning of um, difficulties in, in family at times. Uh, Chuck Smith, uh, who just I uh, went to be with the Lord last month. He, he said this. He said, the true test of Christianity isn't in the church. It's in the home. If I can't live the Christian life in the home, then I'm only a phony when I live it outside of the home. It isn't difficult to look and act like a Christian when we come to church. I need to live the Christian life around those closest to me, those whom I rub shoulders with daily. I don't know if you ever realize that sometimes we, we uh, treat strangers with more respect than our own family members. Uh, we would never talk to a stranger sometimes the way that we would talk to people within our own family because we know that they're there, right? You're always going to be brothers and sisters. You're always going to be related. But not all families are alike. This morning as we um, look at uh, family relationships, um, I know that there is brokenness and there's pain in many families, especially around the holidays, it becomes accentuated. Times like Thanksgiving, th times like Christmas, times like New Year's, uh, where you start to think about family relationships. 
Uh, I remember in, in college that everyone would go home for Thanksgiving, but yet there were a few people that would stay on campus. And I would ask, you know, how come you're not going home, you know, for Thanksgiving? And they would say, well, there's really nothing to go home to. And uh, it was always a blessing to be able to see those people get invited into homes because their home was so bad or kind of messed up that it was not something they wanted to do. So I'm mindful of that, and, and I want to address those hurts and realize that when it comes to family, if, if you have been raised in a family that um, was, was kind of brutal or very dysfunctional, and I say very because every family is dysfunctional to a certain degree, right? But if you grew up in a family that was very dysfunctional, then, then messages like this, you could quickly just shut out. You could just quickly kind of zone out. And, uh, you know, have this mindset, well, people don't know what I've been through. You don't know what my dad was like. You don't know what my mom was like or, or what I grew up like. So I want to be um, conscious of that. And at the same time, encourage you that you could forgive people that have sinned against you. You know, part of being a disciple, a follower of Christ, Jesus talked about loving our enemies. You know, blessing those who persecute, those that have hurt us. And maybe someone in your family, maybe it was a spouse, maybe it was a child that hurt you. You know, maybe it was a parent that hurt you. And God calls us to forgive because when we don't, bitterness sets in and, and unforgiveness and bitterness, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to be hurt because of it. So like you just keep drinking poison and going, oh, you know, you're bitter and you're the one drinking the poison. And God would say, hey, you know, in the same way that I have forgiven, God the Father is the example of the perfect parent. Now, God the Father... Um, he doesn't lose his temper. God the Father is loving. He's patient, but he's also very truthful. He also confronts things. He also speaks to us, but then he continues to love us. And so when it's hard to love someone else, go to God the Father and realize that you can forgive your brothers and sisters and your parents or your children and even your spouse. Uh, yesterday, we walked uh, in a parade in Santa Cruz right down Pacific Avenue. And uh, it was a crazy thing that um, we were uh, right in front of a, a, a float, you know, a group, I guess it was the Atheist Society, and it's uh, Take Back Santa Cruz, and it says, uh, they had a big sign that said, what would Rudolph do? And then uh, ahead of us, not too far, was a, a, their float was a funeral procession, and there was someone that was being pulled in a wagon, and she had a fruit, and she was dead, and it was because she ate some, some you know, non-GMO fruit, or, uh, you know, it's like, that was, their, their, that was their Christmas, or their holiday float, you know? And so we uh, were blessed because Carl had his truck just blaring music. It was like the parade, it was, it was so loud when we got there, and and uh, we had on the back um, kids that were uh, the nativity scene and angels. And, uh, you know, there was Mary and, and the baby Jesus and, and uh, you know, Jesus full of grace and truth. And so that was, that was a huge blessing. And you know what blew me away is how, how we were kind of odd to do that at a Christmas parade, right? It's kind of like, whoa, those are the radical ones. Look at what, that's pretty radical. And I'm going, wow, that's just crazy. And I think anymore for a husband and a wife to say, uh, for, for a boyfriend and girlfriend to say, we're going to get engaged and we're not going to have sex and we're going to wait until we're married. And then we're, we're gonna get married and then we're gonna have kids and we're gonna be committed to each other till one of us dies and we're gonna love our kids and we're gonna minister to our kids. In our world today, that's radical. That is kind of out of the box, kind of, you know, wow, that's, that's really kind of a crazy thing. And I realize again, because we have all these different backgrounds, it's still not a reason, even if we have messed up in our choices, 
it's not a reason for us to ignore what God's uh, highest plan is. And this morning, we are going to look at what it means to redeem the time, which means that then in many ways, even if we've made mistakes, it doesn't mean that we just give up now. I, I don't want to be exclusive of anyone who has had less than an ideal family experience, but I, I pray that this morning we're helpful to everyone. And so in order to be helpful to everyone, we, we really need to go to God's word and what his plan is for the family, since he's the one that created family. Um, a couple of nights ago on CNN, Rick Warren was being interviewed by Pierce Morgan. And uh, I, I really love how he answered. He was put on the spot and he said, uh, Pierce Morgan said to Rick Warren, how can you as a Christian man be against gay marriage? And uh, Rick Warren said, I'm more against the redefinition of the term marriage than anything else. Then he said this, I fear the disapproval of God more than I fear your disapproval or the disapproval of society. And what he was trying to convey was, I have to go to what God says it is. Now, now if two people want to love each other in the way that they want to love each other, I can't stop them and, and nor should I. And I'm not going to say that they're any less than, than me. But when it comes to what God says a, a marriage is, I have to go to what, what uh, God defines. He said, if a Muslim family had a Muslim term and I hijacked that term and said, this term now means this, he said, I wouldn't have the right to do that. And in the Bible, God is the one that defines marriage and he's the one that defines family. So I have to look at what God says about marriage and family. And so uh, for me, you know, I, I realize that as I'm gonna be sharing some things about my own family, not because we're a perfect family by any means, but I wanna tell you that we're all in the same boat. Um, it seems like whenever I teach on family, I have a really hard time in family. Like I blow it, I mess up. Uh, there's some conflict with my extended family. There's something that happens every time I'm going to teach on family. And I realize that in, in a lot of ways, God is showing me my own need for him and his grace. But I, I really pray that even if you're uh, at a time when you've messed up, it doesn't bring discouragement. But I pray this morning that you're, you're hopeful because God has a plan. And it doesn't matter how far apart your family is. Uh, Raul Reese, who was my pastor down in Southern California, um, he was abusive towards his wife. Um, he had uh, you know, cheated on his wife. And uh, when he felt like his wife was going to leave him, he waited at home for her with a shotgun because he was going to kill her, didn't want his kids to grow up without parents, so was gonna kill them. And then he was gonna shoot it out with the police. And the Lord rescued him. Uh, Chuck Smith was on the television and said, no matter how far you've gone, God's grace is sufficient and you could come to the Lord and roll right there in his living room, prayed to receive Christ. So even if you feel like your family is messed up, it's probably not as messed up as Rawls was. And yet God can redeem it and God could do a work. So this morning in Ephesians chapter five, uh, verses 14 through 18, that's where we're going to start. Ephesians five, verses 14 through 18. Um, as we think about family in our culture, I, I can't think of, I can't think of one movie or television show that depicts currently in 2013, I'm not talking about like Ozzy and Harriet or, uh, you know, leave it to Beaver. There were a lot of families in, in media then, even, even in literature then, but I can't think of any current right now where there's just this loving family that goes through trials and struggles 
but the father is a loving father. He's a servant to his wife. Uh, the wife, you, you know, is, is uh, just a blessing. And, and they go through these struggles together and they love their kids. Because I think that more often than not, what you see in television today is uh, this is what family is. And it's just messed up. You know, and we kind of laugh at it. It's kind of funny. Sometimes we laugh at it because we go, man, my family's kind of messed up and, and we could kind of relate to it. But, but this morning in Ephesians, it says in verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 15, it says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Now, applying this specifically towards family, we're, we're to walk very carefully in our world today. Um, very wisely or circumspectly. And it says, not as fools, uh, but as wise. And then in verse 16, it says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. In other words, making the most of your time, making the most of every opportunity. Why? The days are evil. The days are, the, the world we live in, family isn't a very valuable thing. Marriage isn't a covenant before God. It's more like a, a let's see how this works out. And we live in that culture. And when it comes to raising kids and, and, and having family, um, Paul writing to the Ephesians, this applies to everything, but, but we need to redeem the time because I don't want to waste time. Do you realize how quickly time goes? You know, yesterday I had the honor of, of presiding over Clyde's memorial service. And uh, he was only 59 years old when he went home to be with the Lord. And I'll tell you what, time goes like that. I saw slides and, and different people came and they shared stories. Some knew him since the time they were four years old and how quickly time goes, how valuable relationships are. And I think that Paul would speak to us, uh, the Holy Spirit would speak to us through Paul's word saying, redeem the time. You know, our, our life is made of time. And if we want to value life, then we have to value time. And if we've wasted time, how do we get it back? What do we do to repair the past? What do we do to try to repair some of the relationships and the mistakes that we've made? Well, Paul says this in verse 17, therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, if I don't want to waste future time and I want to buy back past time, then I need to understand God's word. I need to understand what the will of the Lord is. Because apart from that, Man, it's just trial and error. It's just making a bunch of mistakes. And then in verse 18, notice it says, and do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation or other translations can say debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. In other words, to be intoxicated, uh, we call it today a, a DUI, driving under the influence. To be under the influence of something that grips me other than the Lord is really a waste of life, a waste of time. But when I'm filled with the Spirit, you know what happens? It's not a waste. I'm not wasting time. I'm not wasting life because I'm doing the things in a way that would bless God and would bless others. So applying this to our families and our relationships, um, I think it's important that for you single people that you take heart and listen up because God designed and wants to bless family. Uh, people are kind of down on marriage today. I saw, um, uh, I think it was Time Magazine recently, um, and it, it talked about, um, what was it, married, no kids. And, and it wasn't talking about married, not having kids because they can't have kids, but the decision of more and more people to get married and not have children. 
Now, I understand that there's circumstances in life and there's, there's certain things that happen. But, but in it, it was talking about goals and how people want to do things. They want to accomplish things. And they look, at, they look for a life partner that won't impede any of those goals and any of those things that, that they want to do. And I'll tell you that as a father, there is nothing that there is nothing that has affected my walk with God in understanding God's role as my father, like being a, a dad. When, when we had Rebecca, our first child, it, it absolutely was so profound to me that if we don't take care of her, she dies. She has no life apart from us. She cannot feed herself. She cannot eat. She can't do anything. And, and just holding her as a, a baby in my arms, there was this overwhelming just sense of not only awe, but responsibility. And I started to see that that's how God is with us. And it made me realize that having children showed me really my selfishness. It showed me how much my life just revolves around me and what I want to do and what I feel like doing and how I want to spend money. But then having children, it kind of, it kind of opened up my eyes to see these things. And this morning, I think it's important that we realize that God, um, God sees family as a blessing. He wants to bless us in family. So I'm going to take you through some of these things as I uh, show you a few photographs. Uh, last year, this was uh, our 21st anniversary. Uh, December 21st will be our 22nd anniversary. Um, but we got away last year. And I'll tell you, it was such a great thing to be able to get away with Deanna because we were so busy last year. We had just moved over here and everything was new and new schools and ad adapting to all of these things. And, and it was good to get away to be reminded of the fact that the center relationship in the family is the husband and the wife. Now, I understand that there are single parents. My, my mom really raised the four of us kind of as a single parent since I was five years old. And I have absolute respect and empathy for, for parents that um, that's, that's your case. It's very difficult. But in, in God's uh, design, in, in the best case scenario, it's that that husband would love his wife as God, as Jesus loved the church and gave himself up. There would be sacrifice. There would be a, a love that would be um, serving. There would be a love that would be nurturing. And that, it, and that the wife would also love her husband in that way. And it says that wives submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. There's this mutual respect in that relationship. Now, in 22 years of marriage, I was thinking about it the other day. I, I can only think of three major, major impasses where Deanna and I came to a place where we could not come to consensus I really felt one way that we should do this and she felt another way that we should do something. So we had two different views of what we should do. And it wasn't a sin issue that was a scriptural, hey, this is you know right and this is wrong. It was more of those gray areas where you just kind of make those decisions. And um, looking back at all of those incidents, all of those situations, she came to me with this attitude and it was such a blessing to me. She said, Matt, God has placed you as the spiritual leader of this family. And you know my, my heart, you know my, my thoughts towards this and why I feel this way. But if you really feel strongly that this is what we're supposed to do, then I trust you and you have my full support and I'm not gonna second guess you and I'll, we'll go ahead and do that. And in every single case I said, no, we're not gonna do it. Because she felt like, hey, you know, I mean, and, and you know what, that's, 
that's what it should look like when it comes to um, a husband loving his wife and a wife submitting to her own husband. Because so many times we get that out of whack. We get it into, hey, you know, my role is to lead and your role is to follow. Or, you know, and that's why feminism is such a, a, a big thing today. Because there have not been a lot of examples of, of men who will lead in a way that is understanding and patient and, and say, okay, if we can't come to a consensus, then maybe we shouldn't do it in the first place. Um, it's also not male chauvinism, in which male chauvinism says, well, I'm the man, so I'm the spiritual head. It, it doesn't mean that I'm smarter than Deanna. It doesn't mean that I'm of any more value than her. We're equal in God's eyes, but we have different functions within that marriage for that marriage to reflect really God's picture of Christ loving the church and giving himself for it. So that's the beginning of family. And, and I, I know that um, there's still arguments and hurts and trials of finances and there's health and raising kids and all of those things. And when the Lord is the center and the husband and wife are learning and growing, the foundation of the family is gonna stand because we're applying things that God has said to apply in a way that he would say to apply. Now, while Jesus is the foundation and that, that marriage is the most important relationship, um, Deanna knows my weaknesses. She knows my faults more than anyone else. And she's not blind to them. She's not stupid like he doesn't have any faults. No, she knows what they are. But there's this blanket of love and grace in which um, a marriage relationship should have. And so, but this morning, we're, we're going to really focus a little bit more rather than, than the marriage relationship because we've done that in the past, uh, more so on the whole unit as a family of, of honoring your father and mother and, um, and what it means to live honorably as parents. And this is not only for single people or married people. This is for adults. This is for, for all of us. Um, when you have the center of that family, um, this was kind of a funny thing. Thanksgiving, probably about four years ago, we were trying to take a family photo and we were at my sister's house and we were trying to, uh, you know, the tripod was there and, and my brother-in-law's trying to take the picture. We must've taken 20 takes. And there was always one of our kids is looking somewhere. One of us is blinking, you know, just, and finally I just said, Hey guys, come here. And I grabbed my own camera and I reached my arm as far as I could. I said, look at this camera. And I took it. And to me, this captured our family. The personalities, just, you know, Josiah's kind of head, you know, looking in there and just that, that was kind of, that was kind of it. Um, but part of discipling in a family means that you know your kids individually. It's not cookie cutter where one size fits all. Different personalities, uh, different people. And if you're, you're single, tuck this away because this is going to mean a lot. Most of us will be parents. If you're single and you're thinking, well, I'm not a parent yet, uh, more than likely you, you will be. Um, my daughter, Rebecca, she's a senior uh, in college. She's graduating in six months. Where the Lord will take her after that, I have no idea. Um, she wants to possibly study abroad, possibly in Peru. Um, and if she doesn't, then she'll probably uh, apply for an internship with uh, IJM, the organization that I talked about earlier. And I know that my time of parenting her is different now. Um, I, I, I can't, I'm not gonna tell her, don't do that. Don't travel overseas. Don't work for this organization and have to raise your own support and take off. My role is to, to guide her. My role is to love her. 
Um, but at her age, she's an adult. She's going to make decisions. And part of redeeming the time is I, I look back and I go, man, time, it, it just went so fast. It, it just, I just, I long for that time when she was at home and now she's not at home. But I really think that a big part of redeeming the time is understanding that while you have your kids there with you, that you don't waste the days. You don't waste the weeks. You don't waste the months because they go too quickly. Um, with my son, Matt, he's a, a sophomore. Just really proud of the young man that he's becoming, a really hard worker. Um, if I give him a task, he'll do it. Uh, if someone hires him, he works, he works hard. Um, and like any relationship, I realize that adjustments need to be made according to their age and according to their personality. So for, for him, I, I remember we went to Yosemite one time. He was 11 years old. We, we hiked Half Dome, and that was great because we talked about what it means to become a teenager. But here he is now where my talks are different with him now, and now they become more like what it means to become a man. And, and there has to be adjustments to life situations as we, we raise up and we disciple our, our kids. And also adjusting to personality. Um, my son Josiah, uh, again, um, strong will, super, super strong-willed kid. Uh, when he was a little kid, when, when he would do something and he didn't want to change his mind, he just would not buckle. He would not cave. Uh, I remember when he was probably, he was in second grade, I think. He went to this camp where there were a bunch of kids there, and uh, he wanted to play with the fourth and fifth and sixth grader, so he brought his basketball and uh, they said, okay, you could, he said, well, you can't use my ball unless you pick me. And they, they picked him just because it was his ball. And they wouldn't pass him the ball because he was just this little kid. I remember um, hearing after I picked him up what happened in the middle of the game, he grabbed the ball and he said, no one's playing. And they said, why? He said, because you won't pass me the ball. He walked away with the ball. The fourth and fifth and sixth graders. And I'm going, man, for him, the way that we disciple him is we got to take that strong will and I pray that that will is shaped for the Lord because if it is, he's not gonna be real influenced by his you know, pressure of culture when it's going against what God says. But I want him to be sensitive to the Lord. Now, Alicia, Ellie is very sensitive. She is super, super sweet, a, a real peacemaker. But in her sensitivity, we need to not allow that strength to become a weakness because sometimes in her sensitivity, she, she could become oversensitive. So I'm, for her, my discipleship of her is kind of buck up, little camper. You know, when you get a little scrape, you just got, you know, wipe the tears off and you got to go. Because if I coddle that too much, then, then she starts to rely upon that, even with her peers and with her teachers and other people. And, and with Abigail, we met with her teacher and her teacher said, uh, I was afraid be, at, for her at first because she's really small. And uh, she said, Abigail is very small, but she is mighty. <laughs> because she's the youngest, she's learned to argue. She's learned to uh, like hold her ground against her brothers. And in that, I need to be able to teach her as the youngest. I, I need to nudge her towards independence and really dependence upon God because um, she could easily, as the youngest, just look to her brothers and sisters and feel like, well, I can't do that because I'm not big enough. And I need to be able to teach her to, to be independent. And the reason why I shared these things is because when it comes to raising children, remember that in Proverbs, it says uh, to train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. And part of training a child in the way that he or she should go means you know them. You know their gifts. You know their strengths. 
if it's a cookie cutter thing and everyone's supposed to do the same thing, then we don't have any diversity in family and we don't have any diversity in the body of Christ. God has gifted each of us with different gifts. Some of you are very comfortable with children. Some of you are engineer types. Some of you are inventor types. Some of you are construction types. Some of you are very quiet and your discipleship looks a lot different than a teacher's discipleship. And because God knows all of those personalities and he's built that into our DNA and how he has wired us, we need to be careful that with our children that we know them and we don't try to fit them into a mold that maybe they weren't fit to. You know, my dad is a civil engineer, retired, worked for the same, worked for the city of LA for 37 years and he wanted me to become an engineer and I hated sitting at a desk I hated, do, I can't draw. I'm like, dad, I can't draw. I, I, I can't, you know, I don't like higher math calculations. Those aren't things that I enjoy. And so he began to realize, well, each, each of them is gifted differently. Now, within that, in Ephesians 6, turn to me, with me to the next chapter. God addresses specifically the children. And notice it doesn't say what age these children are. Because all of us are children in the sense that we um, are the child of, of parents. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Obedience is to be expected and uh, obedience is to be explained. Obedience looks different at different ages. My, my toddlers, you know, when they were young, that obedience looks different than uh, a 16-year-old's obedience, looks different than uh, a 17-year-old's obedience. Now, when it comes to obedience, I don't obey my parents the way that I did when I was a child. I make decisions. Um, I lead my family. Sometimes there's disagreements of how I would raise my kids compared to how my parents would make decisions about raising us. And when we have those discussions, I want to be honorable to them. I want to honor them. I'll listen. I'll, I'll listen to their feedback. Sometimes I'll make corrections and realize, you know what, they're right. But even if I choose to do something else, I'm going to do it in a way that still honors them by, by listening and explaining why I'm going to do what I'm, I'm going to do and why I believe that it's the right way. But it is important that, first of all, this is addressing children. You know, it's speaking specifically, children, obey your parents, which means this is to be expected. In the 1970s, there was a doctor named uh, Dr. Spock, not Leonard Nimoy on Star Trek, but, uh, you know, a, a, a different type of doctor. My mom raised us on Dr. Spock, and then uh, when we started having kids, she gave that book to all of us. And I realized that that book is really about selfishness it's a kind of a, a self-esteem book in a lot of ways there's some good things in it possibly but but what I kind of got from it was you know you let the kids go and kind of you know you don't want to damage them their self-esteem too much and and more suggestions rather than saying do this or do that and when I think about the world that we we live in um man there are times that I'm in a store or in a restaurant, and I will hear a parent bargaining with their toddler, saying, please, please stop screaming. If you stop screaming, I will take you to the store and buy you something. I, 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 want, to, I want to spank the parent at that point in time. I just, I want to take the parent, just, you know, spank the parent. Like, hey, bad parent. Because what you're doing is you're raising juvenile delinquents to, to like, bribe them to obedience. 
obedience is to be expected. And again, at different ages and different levels, there's different levels and ages and expectations for obedience. Um, but it is so important that when it says children, obey your parents, it says obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. It's the right thing to do. And in the Lord, obviously don't obey if your parents are going to tell you to do something that is sinful and against God and will hurt others. But by obeying your parents in the Lord, especially for those that are in junior high and high school and maybe even you know early adulthood, um, you, you start to see that living in the home, being there, um, living under those rules, in obeying your parents in the Lord, for this is right, I, I remember when I got my uh, driver's license, my 16th birthday, I had my, my appointment to go to the DMV to get my driver's license. The day before, we had run out of milk. I opened up the refrigerator. There's no milk. I wanted some cereal. I grabbed the keys. I said, Mom, I'm going to 7-Eleven. I'm going to go get some milk. My mom said, Matthew, stop. You don't have your driver's license yet. And I said, Mom, I'm getting it tomorrow. It's a piece of paper. It's not going to make me drive any better than I drive today. I'm just going to the store. And at the time, it was just me and my mom living in the home. My, my brother and my sisters had already moved out. And so it was just the two of us. I said, Mom, I'm just going to go to the store. Matthew, don't get in the car. I, I grabbed the keys. Mom, I'll be right back. Matthew, do not go. You don't have your license yet. And I said, Mom, I drive better than you. That's what I told my mom. I said, Mom, I drive better than you do. And, and she said, it doesn't matter. You need to obey me. You know? And so I, I, grabbed, I grabbed the keys. I got in the car. She said, do not start that car. I started the car. And I was just in this rebellious, like, I'm going to do this no matter what. Started the car. Do not back up the car. I started backing up the car. She said, if you leave, keep driving. And she yelled, don't come back. And then I stopped. Because I was like, all right, and I've kind of pushed it a little too far, pulled back into the driveway, and I was just very angry, just very upset, because I just felt like, hey, what's the big deal? I'm just driving to the store. But at the time, I was already walking with the Lord, and, and the Lord showed me something. You're obeying me by obeying your mom. You're obeying me by obeying your mom. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And when we obey our parents in the Lord, God is the one that ultimately we are obeying. Now, understanding this, that it's the right thing to do, but for children to learn this, they need to be taught that. It is not something that comes naturally. Kids don't naturally just start obeying. It's something that must be taught and it has to be expected. And as a parent, maybe it feels weird to have that kind of authority to say, well, you know, I'm telling you what to do, but, but God has given that authority. Now, the next part is honoring. It says in verse two, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Now in honor, it means to give weight and to give worth to. To give weight, value, and worth to. Can you honor your parents if you are an adult and your parents are adults? Absolutely. Is this still applying to us in, in middle age and, and even beyond that? Absolutely. What if your parents are dead? Can you still honor your parents? Absolutely. You give worth, you give, um, you, you give your attitude, your uh, actions, all of that gives weight and honor. Now, if you had parents that weren't honorable, 
it makes it really hard. It makes it an incredible challenge to honor your parents in the Lord. And sometimes honor means that it's the things that you don't say. It's just the things that you don't say. Maybe, maybe you, you have made it a habit of just talking about your parents and their weaknesses with your friends and other people. Um, and maybe, maybe that the way you honor your parents is just not to talk about those things in open circles. And I understand that there's some relationships, maybe if you're married, you would talk about those things with your spouse in, in a way that's not just a gossip session, but hey, this is something that I'm, I'm working through. Could you pray for me for this? This is something that I'm struggling through. Or if your, your children see things in your parents, so it's their grandparents, they're seeing things in their grandparents that aren't honor, honorable. Yeah, talk about those things, but do it in a way that still gives your parents honor. Because as we're called to do this, we are discipling our kids how to honor us. The way that I honor my mom and dad, when I talk about my mom and dad with my kids and at home, is a way that I want my kids to honor and treat me. I need to lead by example, not just say, hey, honor me, and then be able to talk about my mom or dad in front of them in a way that doesn't honor them. No, I want to live honorably, but I also want to show that example. And then realize this, when we obey at an age in which obedience is is necessary and required, and we honor our parents no matter what age we are in the Lord, it comes with a promise in verse three. Notice that there are rewards of obedience and honor, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. It's the first commandment that comes with a promise. Remember in the 10 commandments, the first commandments were relationship towards God, vertical, and then the, the the latter commandments were horizontal relationships with others. And when it comes to obeying and honoring me and Deanna for my kids, if they listen to our counsel and our instruction, it will go well with them. I believe it will be better for, it will be better for them in the home, right? But it will also be better later on. Um, if, if I just let my kids eat whatever they wanted to eat, it wouldn't go well with them. They probably wouldn't live long on the earth. They need to learn those things. When I, I teach them about work, when I teach them about finances, when I teach them about Uh, sex and relationships, when I teach them about marriage, when I teach them, if they listen to those things, it will go well with them. I I believe that they will be blessed. Why? Because I'm instructing them in the way of the Lord. Why? Because I'm giving them not just my own opinion, but I'm giving them God's word. And that, um, I believe, yields a fruit. And then the last thing is for parents to parent honorably. Now, when it comes to parenting honorably, um, to parent honorably as a mother, to parent honorably as a mother, you know, your influence, your nurture of the kids, your teaching, your love and your care, that is all huge. They, they'll remember those things. Things are caught more than they're taught. They'll, they'll latch on to those words that, that you share for those of you that are mothers or, or will be mothers. Uh, at, at a prison um, prison uh, fellowship, the ones that do angel tree, they did this one outreach at a prison where on Mother's Day, they provided materials for all of the prisoners to be able to write Mother's Day cards. The most popular outreach they've ever had at the prison was when the prisoners wanted to do that. They made these cards, they wrote to their mothers and they thought, oh, what a great thing. You know, for Father's Day, we'll do the same thing. Cricket, cricket. <laughs> the sad thing is that 
because of broken relationships, because of a, a lack of love and nurture and care on the father's part. Um, a lot of those men that were in that prison were probably in that prison because a lot of a lot of the rebellion and the things that they had seen in their fathers. But to mothers, realize this: your role as a mother is so profound, but it is also profound in how you respond to your husband. Because if you want to teach your children, if you want to teach your sons how to be good husbands and what kind of woman to look for in, in a wife, and you want the best wife for your boys, don't you? Then you need to model that so that they see what it looks like when they're out looking for a wife. And in the same way, if you have uh, daughters, you want to show your, your daughters this is, what, this is what it looks like. Because in that role, it builds security for the, the father. If you are going to parent honorably as a father, um, it's not just provision as far as finances are concerned. In fact, in our culture, our society today, you know, most families, you have a dual income to some degree. But for the, the father, that, that primary responsibility is not only on the father, but it's not just financial, but provision Pro meaning forward, vision meaning to see. You know what we're to do as fathers? We're to see ahead for our families. We're to, we're to be like the, the wagon train that would send the scout that would go check it out and look at the terrain and look at the weather, look at all these things and then come back to the family or the, or the wagon and say, okay, it's safe. This is the way we should go. That is our role as spiritual leaders in the family. It's provision that is more than just financial and it's to be an example of a husband because if i want my if i want my boys to honor deanna i need to honor deanna and if i want my boys to honor their wives and respect their wives i need to be able to respect my wife to not only tell my boys this is what it means to be a, a godly husband but for them to see that example and i i i, I know we're going to fall short I know we're going to blow it. I know we're going to mess up. That is understood. But even when we mess up, they need to see how we get back up when we've fallen. They need to see how we deal with mistakes, how we repent, how we apologize, how we say, I'm sorry, and how they see a change after we say, I'm sorry, how there's a difference in us. And that's all a part of discipleship. And then it says in verse four, and we'll close with this, and you fathers... Do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. This advice to fathers, Paul is writing this one piece, and he's talking about parents, but then he says, dads in particular, make sure that you don't frustrate, make sure that you don't infuriate, make sure you don't cause your children to come to wrath, provoking them, exasperating them. Um, He says the same thing to the Colossian church, lest they should become discouraged. He must have known by the wisdom of the Holy Spirit that we as fathers have a particular weakness when it comes to doing this. Um, How do we discourage them? Sometimes by our harshness, by being overly harsh. And I have done that. I have been that guy that has been overly harsh um, to a degree that it shouldn't have been that harsh. Not, I mean, in, in your words, Sometimes we could say the right thing, but say it the wrong way. And when we say it the wrong way, it could do more damage. 
And, and I don't know about you, but I remember things from when I was very little, very, very young. When they say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt. That's not, that's not true. Those words, they, they stick with you sometimes for a lifetime. So we need to realize that as fathers, mothers as well, but specifically here fathers, how else can we discourage them? How else can we provoke them to wrath? By neglect. Those prisoners that were there, the men that were angry towards their dads, in most cases, it was because of abandonment. Dad was not there. He didn't, he wasn't involved in our lives. He was busy with other things. He didn't spend time with us. He didn't care. And we need to redeem the time. Man, if you have blown it, men, and you look back and you say, hey, man, I've kind of messed up in that way. Redeem the time. How? By being filled with the Spirit. How? By knowing what the will of the Lord is. How? By going back and asking God to repair those things. How? By doing your part. We can provoke them to wrath and we can discourage them by abuse. We need to be careful with words. And remember when it comes to a, a, a physical punishment, maybe a timeout or a spanking, we need to be careful not to be too harsh. We need to make sure that things are appropriate to the age and to the situation and in a way that is not out of anger, but more out of love. And I've been guilty of that at times. Now, I, I know that when it comes to spanking in our culture today, there was a, a senator, um, a congressperson not too long ago in California that wanted it to make it illegal for spanking. And I said, I'm going to jail. Yeah, I'm going to jail. And I'm not saying abusive. I'm not saying abusive. I'm saying appropriate. But there needs to be love afterwards. There needs to be affection. Dads, be affectionate with your kids at age appropriate and, and appropriate ways. Let them know you love them. Um, hug them, put your arm around them. Even when they're older, kiss them on the forehead. Um, spend time with them. Just the joy of that. I, I think that I'm praying that my kids um, will look back at those years with so much security because of, of that nurture that was, was given. And, and finally, we could provoke them to anger by not by not spending time discipling them, by not teaching them. Um, it is such an important thing. The bottom line is, is this, honor your parents and parent honorably. At No matter what age we are, we can honor our mother and our father. And if they were, if they were terrible parents, I'll tell you one of the ways that you could honor them, be a better parent. Be, be someone that learns from their mistakes. I, I want my kids to be better than me. I want them to, to love the Lord more than me. I want them to have an impact on this world more than me. I want my boys to treat um, their wives better than I treat Deanna. I want them to grow as, as fathers better than I am a father. I want my daughters to be better than me. And one of the ways that they would honor me so much in which I see already in my daughter, Rebecca, who's an adult, I see her honoring me in, in, in many ways, taking her relationship seriously and growing and that honors me. Even in areas where I realize I was weak, hey, she's strong in those areas. That honors me. I'm not afraid of that. I'm, I'm blessed by that. And so as we close, remember this. God is a father to the fatherless. And lest you should think of God as just a better version of your own earthly dad, just a better version of your own earthly father, um, it's the wrong it's the wrong picture. He is so far above and beyond us. And you know what? He cares for you in your pain. If you have had a bad childhood, 
you know, I had a great childhood. By God's grace, he shielded me. Even though, um, you know, my mom raised me as a, a single mom, my dad always provided financially, always asked me over to his house. We, we spent a lot of time going to Dodger games together. Some of you would say that's abuse, but that was a blessing for me. Um, but maybe your childhood wasn't a good childhood. Realize this, don't blame the heavenly father. Your heavenly father is good. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants you to take that same nurturing care that he gives to you and to give that to others. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can address you as our father. Jesus, I I think about when you taught the disciples to pray. You taught them to pray, our father. And remind us of the relationship that we have with you that we could also call you Abba. Abba, Father, Daddy, you're um, more patient than we could ever be. You're more loving than we could ever love. And you are more righteous and true than we could ever be righteous or true. So help us to look to you to be our example. Jesus, we thank you that you are full of grace and truth. Help us, Lord, um, for those of us that are parents, to reflect that, full of grace. Lord, there are times when, when grace is just such a blessing to our kids. I pray that you would help us to give the kind of grace that you give. And then when it comes to truth, help us not to compromise when it comes to those difficult conversations. Lord, I, I pray for us as a body of Christ that we would not allow the world and others to be the ones that disciple and teach our kids But Lord, we would be the ones that would take that responsibility at no matter what age they are, Lord. For those that have adult children, Lord, teach us how to still love and influence and and just be there for them. And then, Lord, help us to honor our parents at no matter what age we are. Um, Help us to honor them by our words, by our actions, our attitudes. Lord, help us to honor them in realizing that sometimes they... They made mistakes because they didn't have a good example in their lives growing up. Lord, sometimes they treated us harshly because they were treated harshly. So God, help us to honor them sometimes by forgiving sin and mistakes and things that they have done that have hurt us. God, we thank you that you are a loving and gracious father. We worship you. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. As we go into this time of worship, And we continue to sing to the Lord. Um, For those of you that want to give, because you feel led to give, it's your act of worship, your tithes and offerings, then feel led to do so. If you want to give to Advent Conspiracy, you could do that later as well. Um, But remember this, first and foremost, whether we sing or whether we give, it's response to what God has done for us. It's not to try to buy God off, to satisfy guilt. It's because it's response. God is a generous God. He's blessed us. He's given to us, and we want to reflect that. So I want to pray for the offering as well. Lord, receive this offering as an act of worship. Father, we also pray that as we sing to you, that there would be worship in our hearts to you. And if there's anyone here, Lord, that has never opened up their own lives to you, to say, God, forgive me for my sin. I want to be your child. I want you to be my father ask you to forgive me. Thank you for Jesus coming to show us what love looks like for dying for us. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. 
That, Lord, when we consider our earthly families, I pray, Lord, that we would realize that we are part of a much bigger spiritual family. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.